I want to invite you to take your Bibles, if you have one, and turn to the book of Proverbs, which is right after the book of Psalms, which is right in the middle of the Bible, and turn to chapter 10. Proverbs chapter 10. I asked Rick if I could take care of the text here, even though he's in the bulletin, because I only want to read one verse instead of 20. And I thought it would be better to just uh, move right from the text into the message. I'm only going to preach from half a verse this morning, and still it's awfully hard to hold it down to 20 or 25 minutes. This is a great verse. Chapter 10, verse 11. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. That's the text. Now, some things are right on the face of that text. They're very, very obvious, four of them at least, that you would see, and if you were preaching, you'd start with these four points. So here's the obvious things. Number one, God likes life. God is for life, and therefore he extols that which produces life. The mouth of the righteous is the fountain of life. That's the first obvious thing. The second obvious thing is that life comes from the mouth. In some sense, life comes out of the mouth. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. Here's the third obvious thing. A life-giving mouth is like a fountain, not a factory. I'll say a lot more about that in a minute, but that's obvious. It's right here in the text. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. The image is not one of labor, production, sweat, weariness. The image is one of refreshment, ease, coolness, moisture, brightness. It just comes out. It's like a fountain. And the fourth obvious thing is that the kind of mouth that is a fountain of life is a righteous mouth. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. So those are obvious and we don't need to spend any time on those. But here's what's not obvious to me, and I like to dig for things that are not obvious, that is, to go to the root beneath the obvious. Question number one that wasn't obvious for me is, what is the righteousness that makes a mouth into a fountain of life? What is this righteousness? Because I want that. I want my mouth to be like that. And I assume that almost everybody in this room hearing this verse wants it to be like that. So we got to ask, well, what is that righteousness? If that's the kind of mouth that makes life, what is it? Second question, why does this righteousness produce fountains and not factories? What is it about this righteousness that makes the mouth more like uh, a free, spontaneous, bursting forth than a hard, laboring work to get the thing out that's supposed to come out? Why is it? Third question, how does life in other people come out of my mouth? What's the connection here? How does this work? Why, does, why do things that come out of my mouth make life happen in you? 
Now, those were not obvious to me. I had to think about those. I had to spend about five hours in the concordance, poking around in the context of Proverbs and thinking and meditating. And that's what you're going to hear now is the fruit of my meditation on those uh, three questions. But before, let me let me mention one other thing that should be obvious. But sometimes the obvious is just not obvious. Is it not obvious to you that God cares about your mouth? I just want to make that real clear. God cares about your mouth, your lips, your tongue. He cares about what goes in. But as Jesus said, he cares a lot more about what comes out. It's a great concern to God what comes out of this little opening. All the sounds that it makes, all the grunts, all that doesn't come out is a great concern to him. All that does come out, the tone that it comes out with is a concern to him. The shape and how many letters it has comes out to him. I mean, is a care to him. I hope that's obvious. I hope you don't feel like God is only concerned with the USSR these days. He's concerned with what comes out of your mouth before you go to bed at night to your children. God cares about that and how you talk to your roommate. All right, let's go to these questions because they are so important in making this happen. First question, what is this righteousness that makes mouths into fountains of life? How do you become, in other words, the kind of person whose mouth is a fountain of life? Now, the way I went about answering that question was to take down my concordance and to try to find all the places in the Bible, really in the book of Proverbs, but it turned out that there weren't many, there's only one outside of Proverbs, everywhere that it says that something is a fountain of life. Because I thought if I could find out all the things that are fountains of life, it might shed light on why righteousness is a fountain of life. I thought that made sense to me. And here's what I found. I found in Proverbs 13, 14, the teaching of the wise is a fountain of life. And here's the way I reasoned. I reasoned, if the teaching of the wise is a fountain of life, and if the mouth teaching words of the righteous is a fountain of life, then probably this wisdom is a crucial part of this righteousness. Or maybe another way to say it would be, righteousness is a living by this wisdom. Clue number one as to what the righteousness is. Righteousness that makes mouths into fountains of life is a life conformed to this true wisdom that the book of Proverbs talks about because that wisdom is a fountain of life. And then I remember that most crucial of all sentences about wisdom, which you all would quote to me now. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord or the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I thought, hmm. So really beneath this wisdom idea that's beneath the righteousness idea, there's the fear of the Lord idea. And I found Proverbs 14, 27 The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. Those three things in the book of Proverbs are a fountain of life. The righteous mouth is a fountain of life. The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life. And the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. And I reasoned that they all 
are like branch, to change the image, trunk and root. And that life somehow flows up into the root of the fear of the Lord, into the trunk of wisdom, out onto the branches of righteousness, where the fruit of the lips drop and people can eat and live. Now, we're not quite to the bottom of things yet in understanding righteousness. We're not quite to the bottom of things yet because we have to ask, what are the roots planted in? Where are they getting this life? And you, you answer that question when you think about the nature of the fear of the Lord. That's the root. Did you, you've got that? The branches are the righteousness. The trunk is wisdom. The root is the fear of the Lord. Now, what is the fear of the Lord? It's at least two things. The fear of the Lord, everybody would say, is all a trembling kind of wonder and awe at the greatness and majesty and holiness and goodness and grace of God. But the fear of the Lord is something else, too. They're really connected. But let me describe it this way. The fear of the Lord is what keeps you from running away from the Lord. The fear of the Lord makes you afraid to forsake the fountain of life. It makes you afraid to leave God. You look at God and He's the fountain of life. He's everything. He's beautiful. He's all. And out there are the dogs and hell and frustration and abandonment. And the fear of the Lord says, I'm not going to turn my back on that God. He's everything. Remember that illustration I used? I'm sure 90% of you don't because you weren't here in 1981. But I remember that illustration like it was yesterday because a couple left the church when I used it. Namely that uh, I visited Dick Teagan who had a big dog, big German shepherd. Karsten was seven, I believe. And uh, we went in the house, and this big dog, I mean, it was big, scary-looking dog. One bite, and look, it is over. And uh, Carson was about the same height as the dog, and uh, it was an incredibly friendly dog. Kind of bumped into Carson and nestled up against me, and I wasn't sure. And we left something in the car, and we told Carson to go get it. And he started running to the car, and the dog started loping and had this deep, growl coming out of his mouth and Dick came out on the porch and said oh Carson you, you better not run he doesn't like it when people run away <laughs> and you can believe that went right into the sermon the next Sunday morning because the fear of the Lord is not a fear of being with God it's a fear of running from God it's a beautiful example the fear of the Lord is a fear of turning your back on God and it's Experiencing the consequences of what's out there where God is against those who forsake him. Ezra 8.22 If so, then the reason the fear of the Lord is the fountain of life is because it keeps us with God who is the fountain of life. Psalm 36.9 you, God, give them to drink of the river of your delights, for with you is the fountain of life. And now we're at the bottom.
Now we're at the bottom. You can't get any lower than this. We've gone from the branches of righteousness to the trunk of wisdom to the root of the fear of God. And what's that root planted in? God. That's the fountain of life. God himself. And so if you want to have your life filled with life for others, then you sink your roots into God. You live off of God. And so my definition of righteousness is that it is uh, living on God. It's a life conformed to the wisdom whose essence is the fear of the Lord, which means staying with God, which means living on God and drawing from God. He is the ultimate self-replenishing, inexhaustible fountain. So my answer to our first question is that the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life because God is the fountain of life. And righteousness means living on God. Got it? Righteousness makes the mouth a fountain because it means living on God. But now that's the second question. Why is that? Why does righteousness turn mouths into fountains and not factories? Now I want you to notice something. I... I have not defined righteousness with any reference to a list of of deeds to do. Did you notice that? I have not defined righteousness with any reference to a list of, of deeds to do and not to do. And that's because the essence of biblical righteousness just doesn't consist in that. The essence of biblical righteousness consists in whom you trust, whom you live with. Whom you choose not to forsake, whom you learn to be wise from, that's righteousness. A righteousness that is counting with God is simply a living off of God for your life, for your healing, for your protection, for your wisdom. A turning to God again and again and again. Or to use the New Testament images, righteousness is an abiding in the vine. It's trusting the vine to work for you. You don't work for the vine. Branches don't work for the vine. The vine works for the branch. Righteousness needs being in Christ, living by faith in his power and grace and wisdom, day by day, moment by moment. That kind of relationship makes mouths into fountains and not factories. I want you to get this image here. Factory, fountain. There's a big difference between the uh, freedom of a fountain and the frenzy of a factory. And this kind of relationship with your roots down in God, living off of God, drinking from God, feeding on God, delighting in God, moment by moment, day by day, is what makes this free. So that you are not laboring, you're not sort of marshalling all the human resources and digging for raw materials and getting the labor and management all together and getting your psychological act together. So finally, you can get a product out of this mouth that will be suitable. It's a foreign image. That's not right. It's a fountain. So different. So different than a factory. God means to make mouths fountains this morning. I believe that. 
God means to take a lot of mouths in this room and make fountains out of them. It's going to happen different points along this service. It's going to happen at the table. It will happen as you leave. And the way he will do it is not by having you marshal your human resources and dig for your raw materials and get your labor together, but rather by becoming for you your resources and by becoming for you your raw materials and by becoming for you your management and your labor. He will be for you. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And our problem is the lack of abundance in here. The lack of God in here. So my answer to the second question is how, how righteousness, this kind of right, this relational righteousness, how does it produce a, a fountain and not a factory? Is because this righteousness means living on abundance. Means having your roots in an abundance, being filled here with God so that there's a freedom and a spontaneity and you don't constantly be having to check and control and work to get your mouth right. So the point of my sermon really is uh, trust God, feed on God. Don't turn away from the fountain of living waters to broken cisterns that can hold no water. Jeremiah 2.13. Come to God. There's an awesome and earnest invitation in the word. He who is thirsty, let him come. He who has no money, come by and eat. Come by wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you labor for that which is not bread? Question number three. The last question. How does life for others come out of this fountain-like mouth? What's the connection? I've got my roots now. Fear the Lord planted in God as my treasure and my abundance. And his life flows up in the trunk of wisdom out on the branches of righteousness. And the fruit of lips drops down with luscious things that others can hear or eat and and live. How, how do they live? What, what, what is the fruit of the lips that brings life to you? This is uh, three or four sermons in itself. Let me just close with three pointers. Whether it's spiritual life or physical life, and I think probably both are implied here. Life needs three things, at least. And your mouth needs to supply these three things if you want it to be a fountain of life. When it's hungry, it needs to be fed. When it's sick, it needs to be healed. And when it's under attack, it needs deliverance. Otherwise, you lose life. Now, I didn't, I didn't just choose those three out of the blue. I got them from Proverbs as I was doing my work here. And let me read you where I got them. Proverbs 10.21 says, The lips of the righteous feed many. And when you feed, you give life. Proverbs 12, 18, the tongue of the wise brings healing. And when you heal, you bring life. Proverbs 12, 6, the mouth of the upright delivers men, delivers people. 
And when you deliver people from attack, you bring life. So if, if, if your mouth is a fountain of life for others, it will bring forth food and healing and protection. And so I close with three pointed questions for you as we move to the Lord's table. Number one, does your mouth usually feed with the truth and the substance of what comes out of it? Or does your mouth often starve people with silence or with empty talk? And just think of all kinds of relationships now. Don't lock in on just one. Think of children. Do you feed your children with your mouth? Do you feed your spouse with your mouth? Do you feed your colleagues and your boss with your mouth? Do you feed your neighbors with your mouth? Or do you starve them? Or just talk with emptiness? That's question number one. Here's question number two. Do you, when you speak, usually heal people with words of grace and love and kindness? Or do you often wound people with harsh words, critical words, put-downs, innuendo, unhelpful words? And finally, when you speak, does your mouth usually deliver people and protect people by becoming an advocate and a partner with them over against the attack? Or does your mouth characteristically join the attack? If you want your mouth to be a fountain of life, One way to move toward that is to assess properly how we're doing. I told the deacons downstairs as we were coming up, I said, I'll come to the end of this message and uh, unless I'm real unusual, most of the people will feel discouraged at the end of this message. (laughs) That is, if you're honest, you'll feel like me way too often. Does my mouth not feed? Does my mouth not heal? Does my mouth not protect, but rather joins in the attack? Or wounds? Or starves? And uh, so as we move to the table, here's what I want to make sure you, you do. Um... Don't right now respond to what I've said by building a factory in your mouth or in your head. All right? I say, okay, I heard you. Got to get this mouth cleaned up now. Got to feed. Got to heal. Got to protect. Yeah, going to do it. I've got a resolution. I'll do it tomorrow morning. You missed the point. You just missed the point. Jesus said, out of the abundance of this heart, this mouth will speak. And so I just want to invite you to the abundance as we go to the table. I want to invite you with me as a very needy mouth to turn from the broken cisterns of the world to the 
fountain of living water this morning. Because if you don't get refreshed in this service, if you don't walk out of here feeling like God loves you, forgives you, heals you, protects you, feeds you, your factory is going to shut down in a hurry. It'll go on strike. And so I'm going to move to the table, invite Dean to join me. And we're going to move right to Jesus. Now, Jesus is your food. So I want you to come to Jesus now in these last few minutes of this service. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. John 6, 35. So Jesus says, come on. I'm ready to be a feeder and a life giver to any who come. He is a healer. It is not the well who need a physician. It is those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but the unrighteous. And so he's here as a physician saying, come on, all you sick people. All you people with corruption and crud and disease and cancer that's making your mouth crummy. Come on, I'm ready to fix the inside. I'm ready to be for you a doctor as well as a feeder. And Jesus is our protection, our fortress. He gave himself in order to deliver us from all iniquity. And to make for himself a people purified for good works. And so don't build a factory. Come to the water. Come to the fountain. If you're a guest with us today and not a member of this church, you may partake of these elements with us if you're coming. Okay? If you've decided in your heart, I'm not coming to Jesus. I'm not taking him as my food. I'm going to the world. I'm not taking him as my healer. I'm going to the world. I'm not taking him as my protector. I'm going to the world. I'm not taking him as my wisdom. I'm going to the world. If you eat this, you're in big trouble. Don't do it. But I don't want anybody to be in that category. Come to Jesus. And you may eat. We hold our elements and then we partake all together when the deacons are back. Brothers, let's stand and I'd like to lead us in prayer as we move towards the Lord's table. Oh, Father in heaven. I ask for the miracle right now of new birth for some who are outside of Christ and need to be grafted into the vine. Holy Spirit, do it, I pray. And then I pray for all my brothers and sisters who are in Christ, and yet we all have an abiding corruption within. Sin for which we are ashamed by virtue of the grace that is in us. Mouths that have not fed, not healed, not protected but have starved and wounded and joined in the attack. Forgive us. We confess our sins together right now. We lay them down and we receive the promise of forgiveness. We eat now this bread to signify that we are feeding spiritually on Jesus Christ, the living bread. Make an abundance in our hearts, I pray. In his name, Father, amen.